So today is the second week of our 30-day stay-at-home non-retreat retreat, right? So we're entering the second physical week of it. According to Ignatius, whose template we're following, it's actually week one of our retreat. He first, first of all, he does an introduction, which is what we did last week, um, first foundations and principles, and that's looking at the glory of God. This is week one um, today um, that we're going to be starting. And um, the way I want to start today is I want to start with a story from Scripture. And some of you sometimes get freaked out when I say a story from Scripture. I remember somebody stopping me and saying, they're not stories. I said, well, a story is just a story. It can be a true story, and this is a true story. So a story from Scripture that's found in 2 Samuel, and it tells about an encounter between King David and the prophet Nathan. As the story goes, the armies of Israel were off um, doing battle. They're engaged in battle, and David, who was the king, who was also the commander of the armies, instead of being off with the the army, he stayed back in Jerusalem. And the story tells us that one evening, and I'm assuming it was a nice night, so one evening he has nothing to do. They have no TV, no ESPN, no Netflix. So David gets up on his roof, which that might sound strange to you, but they're flat roofs and designed to be walked on. We lived in Cambodia. We had a house like that. We you went up on the roof. And David went up on his roof, and he was walking around in the evening. And he looked off his roof, and he saw a woman next door. So, yes, David, honestly, without he was being a peeping Tom. He literally was. He's watching a lady next door. And, and it says that he saw, and this is what I love about Scripture. Scripture doesn't sugarcoat anything doesn't try to make people all better than they really are. shows that we all have problems, we all have flaws and faults. And it says that David saw that the woman was beautiful, so he inquired of his people around him, he found out, who is she? And they told her it's a woman named Bathsheba, and that she was the wife of one of his soldiers named Uriah the Hittite. Well, David did what David could do as a king. He sent his people over to her house and brought her into his house, and unceremoniously, it sounds like, we don't know how she responded to this, it says he had sex with her, and then he sent her home. Sometime later, Bathsheba um, sends a message to King David and says, guess what? I'm pregnant. So what's David to do? Here he is, his husband's off in battle, wife is pregnant, husband's not been home, Um, he's going to be found out, she's probably going to be stoned, you know, for being an adulteress, probably. Bathsheba was pregnant, and her husband is off fighting for King David. So David conceives a plan. He had Uriah the Hittite sent back to him as a messenger. He said, have Uriah come back and tell me how the battle is going. And obviously David assumed something. He assumed that Uriah is going to come back. His house is next to Uriah's house. So Uriah is going to come back. He's going to go home. He's going to spend the night with his wife. Later she's going to say, I'm pregnant. He's going to assume it was his child. But David's plans didn't work out as he thought they were. Uriah, being a very honorable and righteous man, he did return. But instead of spending the night with his wife Bathsheba, he slept, it says, right outside of King David's door with David's other servants. So that gives you an interesting picture that his servants are sleeping outside the door. And so he's sleeping outside the door with the other servants. And when David asked him, David found out the next day that he didn't go home. And David asked him, why did you do that? And Uriah, being this honorable man, said, listen, there was no way I was going to go back to my house. And he says, eat a good meal and sleep in my bed and spend time with my wife 
when the armies of Israel were sleeping in tents on the ground in battle. He said, I wouldn't disgrace my brothers that way. So David conceives another plan. He sent a note with Uriah. Uriah carried the note to give to the commander of the armies. And the note told the commander to put Uriah in a place in the battle where he was surely to be killed. And the commander read the note. He listened to the note. He put Uriah in a place in the battle where the fighting would be fierce and he had the troops withdraw from Uriah and he was killed in battle. And then it said then after the appropriate time, David got Sheba, Bathsheba brought her to his house and made him one of his wives. But the story doesn't end there. God was not pleased with David, obviously. And so God did something. God sent the prophet Nathan to go have a conversation with David. If you have your Bibles, grab your Bible with me and open to the book of 2 Samuel. And we want to look at, we're going to look at part of the conversation that Nathan has with King David. 2 Samuel chapter 12, we'll look at the first nine verses of this confrontation after David has done what David has done. And God says, Nathan, go talk to him. And let's look at, this is the message. 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says, then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Remember, Nathan is a prophet. He's one who hears messages from God and delivers them to the people of God. Then the Lord sent um, Nathan to David. And he came to him and he said, there were two men in one city, one rich and one other poor. And the rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he, brought, which he bought and he nourished. And it, and it grew up together with him, him and his children, and it would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for him who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. And he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and had no compassion. And then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. You are the man. David, you are guilty of adultery, and you are guilty of murder. The Lord confronts David for his sin, for his actions. And the story goes on to say that when David heard this, he, he, he saw the reality of his sin, he acknowledged his sin, he turned from his sin, and he saw his, his sinfulness, his, his um, brokenness in light 
of the reality of the glory and the holiness of God. And David writes about that. Turn your Bible a little further to the book of Psalms. Psalm 51, which is maybe one of the most famous of all the Psalms, because it's, a, it's the Psalm that David wrote as a confession of sin and a crying out to God to receive forgiveness and mercy after the prophet Nathan has confronted him. It reveals the heart of David after being found out. Psalm 51, we'll just read the first four verses, and the whole psalm's about this, but David says this, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before you. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. David acknowledges his sin. David comes face to face with the reality of his sinfulness. Somehow David was able to do all that he had done with Bathsheba and Uriah and somehow deceive himself and excuse himself. But when Nathan confronted him, blinders were removed. He saw the reality of who he really was, and he broke down in repentance before the Lord. Now, that is what week one of an Ignatian retreat is all about. Seeing the reality of our own faults, seeing the reality of our own sins, seeing the reality of our shortcomings, and then repenting and experiencing forgiveness. See, the reason Ignatius began the retreat that we began, and all his retreats, as he did last Sunday, with the looking at the greatness and the goodness of God, was so that when, he come, when we come to this week, it's easy to see the contrast. Last week we looked at God and we were amazed. This week we look at ourselves and in contrast we see a huge difference between ourselves and God. Now most likely none of us have done things nearly like David has done. But when we are honest with ourselves, all of us have areas in our lives where we are not um, honoring God. We all have areas in our lives where we want to get better. Areas in our lives where we need to turn the other direction or repent. And that's what repentance means. We need to make a change of direction in our lives. We need to realize we're wrong and go another way. Well, week one of an Ignatian retreat is meant to give us the opportunity to expose those areas in our lives. And I want you to hear me right now because you might going... Pastor Mark, I should have stayed in bed. This process is a gift. It's a gift. It was a gift for Nathan to be confronted by David. God loved David so much that he confronted him. He exposed his sin so that David would confess and repent. That he would change direction and be restored to God. That, my friends, is the greatest gift we could ever receive in our entire lives. That's the gift that all of us can receive today and this week. And honestly, to set a pattern 
for our lives. The gift to be honest with ourselves about ourselves. To be honest with ourselves about ourselves that we can address anything so that we can address anything in our lives that is keeping us from experiencing the fullness and the deepest relationship with Christ. It is the gift of getting better. Of finally exposing what we've been hiding for so long so that we can find healing and restoration. You see, the Holy Spirit wants what's best for each and every one of us. So today and this week, we are going to invite him to examine us, to help us to see anything that is harming or hindering us. We're inviting him, do it in me, God, so that I can get better. Now, when Ignatius, as we talked about last week, when Ignatius ran a retreat, and every week has a different emphasis, last week, the goodness and greatness of God, this week, looking at ourselves and seeing, is there anything in me that, God, you want to deal with, that every week he would explain the, that goal with what he called the, graces I, the grace I seek. And remember, somebody brought it to me um, last week. They said, hey, I couldn't write them all down. Well, the grace I seek every week on the handout you can pick up or that's online or, on our, or that's on Facebook will have these written out. The grace I seek as well as scripture suggestions as well as the spiritual practice that we're going to talk about in a little while. So Ignatius expressed this desire for this week, week one, the grace I seek for week one to see ourselves, he expressed it like this. Now, these are not his exact words. These are words that are translated and interpreted, but this is the gist, as close as we can to what Ignatius says this is the goal of week one. He says, to have it made clear to me my sinfulness, I want to see it all. To see whatever it is that still holds me back from becoming all that you desire me to be. To see in all honesty where I really stand with you today, Lord. Help me not to lie to myself. I desperately need to come clean to all manner of selfishness and sin in my life. The worldly attachments I yet cling to and the lies and addictions that keep me from you. I want those gone. He says, that's the grace I seek. Now, here's what I have to say to us as a church. It takes boldness and strength to do what this week asks us to do. Boldness and strength. To really be honest with ourselves, for me to be really honest with myself, Ignatius said it this way, I want to see it all. I desperately need to come clean before you, Lord. In essence, this is what's happening. In essence, this week we are inviting the Holy Spirit to be a Nathan to each one of us. We're saying, Holy Spirit, I want you to be like Nathan to David. I want you to show me it all, Lord. We are welcoming the Holy Spirit to put his finger on those areas in our lives that must go, that must change, so that we have nothing standing between us and the Lord. And as we do this this week, as we engage in this, I want you to remember three words because these three words will guide you this week. The realization, repentance, and restoration. Realization, repentance, and restoration. Realization. Generally, it is very easy to see the faults and the sins of other people. Matter of fact, I was thinking about doing an experiment and I changed my mind. But this is what I was going to do. I was going to ask a husband and wife to come up here this morning 
And I was going to ask one of the husband and the wife, say, hey, I want you to tell me three faults or sins of your spouse. Now, who thinks that'd be a really bad idea? Okay. I really didn't think about it. I really thought it'd be funny, but I was never going to do it. But I thought about it. I really did think about it because I thought it'd be fun. Um, I would surmise this if I did that, which I never would. You could rattle off three things pretty quick about the other person. But if I asked that same couple, one of the people, to tell me three of their own faults or sins, it probably would take a little bit longer. And there's a reason for it. Usually we are better at seeing other people's failures and shortcomings than we are at seeing our own because we generally rationalize and make excuses for ourselves. When we do things that we do that we think somebody else in their life shouldn't do, we excuse ourselves because we have a justification for our actions or our reactions. For example, you come home, you had a hard day. Again, you interact with your spouse or your kids and you snap and you're mean and you're ugly towards them, but you say this, well, I had a bad day. Right? I had a bad day. I justify my actions or my reactions because of something in life. We excuse ourselves for improper actions or reactions because we have a good reason in our mind for why we did it. We might regret it. We might not have wanted to have done it, but we did it anyways. Not want to have done it. Did it. Um, but we did it anyways because we think, you know what, I really had a good reason. Well, today and this week, let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us see the times that we deceive ourselves by making excuses for ourselves. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us have a realization regarding our motives and our actions. See, a realization is what David had when confronted by the prophet Nathan. Before that point, he was somehow able to justify his actions to himself. I've got a reason, and I think maybe for King David it was simply this. He was king. And we don't even have an idea of what that was like, the power the king had. The pim king could say to his servants, go get me that married woman, come to my house. He could do whatever he wanted to her and then send her away because he was the king. And in his absolute power, he just thought, well, I can do whatever I want. Self-justification. But when Nathan put his finger on his sin, he had a realization about his sinfulness and guilt. And that's what we see in Psalm 51. Ignatian invites us to welcome this. To seek after it. Why? Because we will never move forward in our relationship with God until we are honest with where we currently are at. If we are excusing wrong motives or actions, we are stuck in our own deception. And God loves us so much that he wants to set us free from our deception so that he, so he helps us to see and realize the reality of our shortcomings and our sins because he wants to help us get better. So realization. He's going to help us realize things about us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're inviting him to be like Nathan in our lives. But let me tell you something. Never stop at realization. 
Realization is not a destination. Realization is a point on the journey. Never stop at realization. Realization is important, but we must move past it. Realization must move us to repentance. Once we realize there's a problem, an issue, now we need to make a change. That's what repentance is all about. A change, epiphany, realization, change, repentance, a change in direction, a change in action. I make a decision by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit's revealing it. The Holy Spirit's going to empower transition and change and growth. So I make a, a decision change. For David, you know what the Holy Spirit might lead him to? Hey, dude, stop going on the roof and looking at naked women taking baths. That might be the change he makes. On a nice night, David, take a walk on the ground. You know what? Something as simple as that. And here's the deal. What is God going to invite you and me into this week? What is he going to invite us to change? What change is he inviting us into this week? Maybe. Some of you need to make the drastic decision. I mean this. I thought, thought and prayed very seriously. The drastic decision that I'm not the Holy Spirit to literally get rid of your smartphone and go to a dumb phone. They make them now. You can buy flip phones with no internet. You know why? Because you can't handle not looking at porn. You can't. It's acceptable. It's right there. It's all the time. And maybe you need to say, David, get off your roof. You need to get rid of your phone. Or you need to put some kind of app on it that, that guards it, triple X or one of, those, one of those apps you can get that keeps you from looking at other things. You need to you say, what change is God inviting me into? Maybe, you know what, another change might be, and I'm just, just saying what they might be. There's a thousand it could be. Some of us maybe need to cut up our credit cards because every time, the way you make yourself feel good about yourself, you just go shopping. Medicaid. Just buy something else, buy something else, buy something else. What change is God inviting you into this week as a gift to you? Remember this, any change that God invites you into, although it may seem painful, is actually your path to freedom. God is offering you and me a better way. He was offering King David a better way. So it starts with realization which leads to repentance that fosters restoration. Friends, the goal, the goal, the end, realization repentance aren't the end. The end of the journey in this process is restoration. Restoration between man and God, restoration between man and man, God's going to make some things right. See, failure in our lives need not be fatal. Failure that we all have. Raise your hand if you're if you're perfect. I'm sorry. I'll ask Rose. You're not, <laughs> and neither am I. <laughs> I know you're joking. I know you're joking. None of us is perfect, but failure need not be fatal. God offers restoration to each of us and he gives us these extreme examples in scripture to say, for Pete's sakes, if he did it for him, he'll do it for you. It's why God, I believe, why God chose the apostle Paul to be the main voice of the New Testament. He's thinking killed Christians. 
God will say, if he can use him, he can use me. He can use you. We all are filled with faults and failures. Our failures need not be fatal. Maybe for some of us here today. You know, we've been living in, in actually keeping us from what we're doing, uh, the sins and the, and the issues in our lives is a way that we're, we're keeping from God. We're trying to hide from God. So we run and we do things to keep us away from God. Understand something. God is inviting you to stop running away today and to change direction and run to him because he's always here with his arms wide open to you no matter what it is. But some of us here today, we have said, God, in my life, I've run to you. I've given up everything, and I've come before you, and you're my Savior, and you're my Lord, and and I want you in my life. But this week, we're going to see some things in our lives that God's going to say out of grace and love, you know what? It's time to deal with that. He didn't deal with that before, maybe, because you weren't ready. But this week, he's going to peel another layer off the onion and say, it's time to deal with that. He says, I want, you to, I want to see that change in your life. I want to help you turn away from that. And that, those things that he points out, those things don't keep God from us. They keep us from God. That's why you have to deal with it. Think about Adam and Eve. When they sinned, and this is the misunderstanding of so many people theologically, they think when I sin, God turns his back. He never turns his back. When we sin, what did Adam and Eve do? They turned their back, they ran, and they hid behind a tree. Right? Who hid? They hid. God didn't. In fact, what did God do? God came looking for them. Sin in our lives is like that. It's like us hiding behind a tree, hiding from God. It puts a barrier, a distance between us and God. We move away from God. And the gift of week one of an negation adventure, a nature retreat rather, is that it invites us to come out of hiding from behind whatever those sin trees are in our lives and calls us to come close to God who's seeking after us the whole time. That's the gift of week one. Now, every week... I'm going to try to give you a spiritual practice that you can use today and this week to help facilitate the objective of this week. So one of the ways that we can become aware of those things in our lives that need to be dealt with but that we either are blind to or we are choosing to ignore is by participating in a spiritual practice called imaginative I'm going to explain what that is. And it's also a brief outline, explanation of it on your handout. Imaginative prayer. This is something that Ignatius practiced, and he taught his followers on retreat to practice. With this practice, what we do is we invite the Holy Spirit to help us enter into a biblical text. What we do is we, we read a story. We take a story from the Scriptures, maybe the one we just read today. And we read that story from the perspective of one or more of the characters and we imagine what may have gone on behind the scenes of what's recorded in Scripture. Now, we're in no way trying to add to Scripture. We're not trying to say, oh, God showed me something and this is is Scripture. No, not at all. What we're trying to do is recognize that, that in an event in Scripture, it might take five minutes to read that event, but that event took four hours to play out. 
And what we do in our imagination, and we understand something, people go freak out imagination. God gave you your brain. And a sanctified imagination is a gift from God. How do you think C.S. Lewis wrote what he wrote? A sanctified imagination. And what we do is we say, God, help me to live into this story. And you go through the story saying, I want, you know what? In the story of Nathan and, and David, I want to be David. And I want to read this story slowly, part by part by part, and I want to say now, what would David have experienced? What would it have been like? What emotions would he have felt? What would he have seen, heard, smelt, felt? What was it like in the story? And you go through the story, you imagine what it would be like to be one or more than one of the characters. You're letting, you were asking the Lord to help us see things that we didn't see when we just quickly read the text. Now here's what I think you should do as you do that. Take your journal and go through the text slowly and write out part of the text and then begin to write whatever things you think about. Again, you're not writing scripture. You're just experiencing stuff. Now here's what happens often when you use imaginative prayer. You're going through this as the characters in the story. And oftentimes, you're going to discover stuff about yourself. Because you're going to be drawn by God, by the Spirit in your mind, to certain things in the text. And you're going to discover things about yourself that you may have been blind to. You go through it, I guarantee you, you go through this thing as King David, the, the prophet Nathan. When Nathan's saying, thou art the man, you're going through this. You're going to be thinking seriously about your own life when you go through that. And you wonder, what might the Spirit of God point out to you. And this week on the handout um, and the, uh, on the handout um, in addition to the explanation of spiritual practice as you're doing that, I have some suggested scriptures. Succession areas of scripture that you could spend time in imaginative prayer just sitting with that text with your journal and your Bible and the presence, inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, help me just live into this text. Help me experience it more fully. So the Spirit can point out not only things about that, but about you. Again, we're not rewriting Scripture. We're not trying to add to Scripture. We're just saying, God, what might you want to say to me? Because remember, the Bible says, the Bible says about itself, it's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to pierce between our soul and our spirit. It's able to teach to us, talk to us, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. So we're giving an opportunity for the Spirit to do that as we, as we spend more time in the text. So today and this week, we want to see the truth about ourselves. It takes boldness. It takes courage. No hiding, no excuse making. As Ignatius said, bold thing. I want to see it all. Why? So we can move forward. And good news, that's what all the next three weeks are about. That are about moving forward. What my life can be in the public, compared to the public life of Jesus, in his death and resurrection, in his death rather than his passion, and the resurrection. That's the next three weeks. What might God be inviting me into in my future? But for today and this week, we want to deal with anything that is tripping us up. Any way we're hiding behind a tree, the Holy Spirit's going to invite us to come out. And we say this, Lord. I want to see it all. That makes sense? Let's stand together.
pray with me this morning? Lord, we want to be open books before you today and this week. Lord, you know the hurts. You know the fears. You know the pain of every one of us. You have walked with us from the day we first took a breath. And you love us. And now you're inviting us to be honest with ourselves and to see us as we need to see ourselves. Not in a way to cause pain, I don't believe it for a second, not pain for pain's sake, but exposing anything in our lives. And Lord, we know this, you'll only expose anything that's appropriate for the moment. And that you'll expose whatever so that we can turn from it get out from behind it, get out from underneath it and be greater and a greater connected relationship with you. No barriers, no hiding, no excuses. Help us to see us. Help us to see us ourselves honestly. And help us, Lord, in this process to realize, to repent and to be restored. Now, Lord, we know when we say that, if we have you as our Savior, we know our relationship with you or our salvation is secure. But we know we can live with you and we can have, we can have blockage, obstacles in our advancement, in our growth with you, and we don't want any of those. So this week, Lord, the gift of you blowing those things up in our lives and removing them by the strength of your Spirit. So we invite you, Lord. We say this. We want to be open books before you this week, today and this week. May we be different seven days from today. We may be freer seven days from today. Now, Lord, I know this. There may be somebody here today listening in the sanctuary or online who has never yet made that first step to come to you. They have been hiding. The things in their life they use as ways of hiding from you, and they don't even know why. But today, Holy Spirit, you are putting your finger, like Nathan the prophet, on their life, on their heart. And you're saying this. It's time to stop hiding. You're saying that you love them. You died for them. And you want to embrace them. And so, Lord, you're inviting everyone and anyone who doesn't know you as Savior and Lord to say yes to you today. And I thank you for that. And friends, their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed. Just maybe one of you here in the sanctuary or more than one of you here in the sanctuary today would say, yes, I've been playing games or I've been running and I've never really said yes. I've never been all in with Jesus. But today, I want to run to him. 
I want to I have the barriers removed. I want my sin removed. And I want to I be unified with, with the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Maybe you're here in this room. Maybe you're watching online. If that's you today, I want to do something bold between you and me and God because no one else is looking around. I want you to raise up your hand right now. Not to me, but to the Lord. Raise up and say, Lord, that's me. Lord, that's me today. I need you. Praise the Lord. Okay. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus. I'll just pray this way rather if that's you. Lord Jesus, I feel your tug on my heart. And I invite you into my life today. Wipe away all the garbage and make me brand new. And from this day forward, guide and lead me. Help me to walk with you because that's what I want to do. So Lord, this day, this Sunday morning, brand new year, I turn to you and I say I want to be your follower. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you, friends. If you said yes to Jesus today, we want to help you any way we can. If you're here or you're watching online, we want to help you any way we can. Get a hold of us. We'll help you. We want to walk in a journey with you. Help you find out how good and wonderful our Savior is. Amen, church? Let me close by praying the great blessing of Aaron over us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you, friends. Have a wonderful day in Christ. Be open to what Lord has said to you this week. If you need prayer, want prayer, I'll be available to pray with you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day in Jesus.